Hey, this is Scott Walker, and you can't recall courage. Thanks for joining us again this week. It was an interesting week. I've been traveling around the country talking about oh, a number of things, one of which was earlier in the week talking about the balanced budget amendment. And we'll come back. We've talked about that before on this podcast. We'll talk about it again in the future, particularly with $30 trillion debt approaching in, well, less than five and a half years. Uh, but that's for another podcast. We've been talking about other things as well, but on Wednesday I got a chance to go to my friend Paul Ryan's alma mater, Miami University, that's in the west-central, southwest kind of portion of the state of Ohio. It's, in fact, actually to get there, I had to fly into the airport in Cincinnati, which is actually technically in Kentucky, go up there, and on the way back, the person driving with me pointed out in a matter of about six to seven minutes, I think I'd gone through three states, Ohio, Indiana, and eventually into Kentucky to get to the airport. Uh, the logistics of that are less important than what we talked about, and that was I had the chance at Miami University to be part of the Janus Forum. It's actually a pretty good session. They've, I think they brought in about um, 15 or 16 different uh, speaker series where they have a bit of a debate on a given topic. The topic this time was the Trump presidency, its successes and failures. And you can imagine going into any college campus, I don't care where you're at in the country, public or private, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, I was uh, pitted up against, although it wasn't really a true debate, more of a forum, but former California U.S. Senator uh, Barbara Boxer, who, despite our obvious differences in policy, actually was quite uh, quite nice to uh, to chat with beforehand, and and uh, I think we had a good discussion and a good time, and uh, I actually valued uh, the experience. Uh, Nikki, the young woman who moderated, was outstanding, and the, the questions were were all over the spectrum, as you can imagine. But it's interesting. Uh, my point then, and I wrote a piece about this today in the Washington Times is about how if you looked at the successes of this presidency, if you looked at where this country is today and you didn't know who the president was, you'd be hard-pressed, Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, not to concede that good things are happening in America. In fact, you know, the timeless question often asked in political campaigns, particularly with an incumbent, is this, are you better off today than you were four years ago? The answer overwhelmingly, I think, in America today is yes. In fact, I've often pointed out there's plenty of politicians in Washington who, who can say all the right things, who say and talk just the right way, but they don't do squat. President Donald Trump may not always say, or more specifically, may not always tweet the way I would, maybe even many of you listening would, but you know what? He gets the job done. If I had to choose between someone who was a doer or a talker, I'm going to pick a doer every time. Think about that. In America today, unemployment is at the lowest level in nearly 50 years. In fact, the last time it was this low was December of 1969. Now, if you break it down by category for African Americans, for Hispanic Americans, for Asian Americans, for people with disabilities, and for veterans, unemployment in each of those categories has hit the lowest level ever recorded during this president's tenure in office. Overall, there have been more than 6 million jobs have been created in this country since President Trump's election. The economy actually achieved the longest positive job growth streak on record. And you know what? There's actually more job openings. There's 7.4 million job openings in America for American workers. So that means there's more job openings than there are people looking for work. In manufacturing, which is important here in Wisconsin, but all throughout the country in places like Michigan, Ohio, where I was at the other day, Indiana, and plenty of other places around this country. More than half a million jobs have been created since President Trump's election. Now, of that, 
more than half of them, 264,000 manufacturing jobs, were created last year alone. That's the most of any year in the past two decades. And get this, with that, that growth in the number of jobs, particularly in manufacturing, blue-collar workers are on track to see nearly $2,500 more in wages each year. That fits in with the beyond just manufacturing, but overall, real median household income is now at above $65,000. Over $65,000 in 2019 dollars for the 12 months that are ending in July. That's according to the U.S. Census Bureau. So these are rock-solid statistics. This is the highest level ever. Think about that. If Bill Clinton or Barack Obama were the president and real median household income was the highest level ever, they'd be talking about chiseling their faces on the side of Mount Rushmore. This is unbelievable. This is the highest level ever, and it's up over $4,100, $4,144 to be exact, of an increase in real median household income since the time President Trump first took office. Workers are seeing their largest wage growth in nearly a decade, with the lowest wage earners seeing some of the strongest gains. Let me repeat that. So not only are, are workers overall in America seeing the largest wage growth in over a dec- nearly a decade, I should say, the lowest wage earners are actually seeing some of the strongest gains. It's probably part of the reason why more than 7 million Americans have been lifted off of food stamps since the 2016 election. And the poverty rates for African Americans and Hispanic Americans in this country have reached the lowest levels on record during this term. Clearly, the the policies of this Trump administration are working. This year will be the first time that people will see a decrease in their health care premiums since Obamacare years ago caused them to rise. President Trump signed legislation that my friend, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, proposed. He signed right-to-try legislation into law that expands experimental treatments for people facing a terminal illness. And get this, prescription drug prices have fallen for the first time in 46 years. That will save Americans more than $26 billion. Now, some, including some on the debate stage this week and prior times, some, some of those running to defeat the president want to turn over operations of our health care system to the federal government, government-run health care. That would likely lead to longer wait times, poor service, higher costs, and other problems along with it. And get this, taxes will go up in the middle class to pay for that plan. At least Bernie Sanders has the courage and the fortitude to well, I may not agree with him. At least he's honest about it. He admits that taxes will go up. Now, his claim is that taxes will go up, but that somehow that'll be offset by eliminating premiums on health insurance. What that ignores is that most Americans who get their health insurance from the private employer are paying a fraction of what the total cost is. If you're paying all of it and your taxes went up to offset that, again, I don't believe that to be true, but but at least you could make an argument. But most people are paying a fraction of the true cost of health care. I know that. That was part of the debate years ago when we asked public employees uh, to increase their contribution for their pension and their health care still, for example, health care, still paying far, far, far less of a percentage than the typical worker does in this country. So we know all about that. But but that's the irony. Is So, <laughs> so you've got taxes are going up. Elizabeth Warren claiming that she's not going to raise taxes. She won't sign any bill that raises taxes in the middle class. She obviously doesn't know what she's talking about, or she's just flat out lying again. Bernie Sanders at least admits that his plan will raise taxes, and the middle class will see their taxes go up. He at least 
tries to make the argument, as I mentioned, I, don't, I think it's a bogus argument, tries to make the argument that somehow that'll be offset uh, by lower insurance premiums. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there's candidate after candidate. All, any of those embracing the so-called Medicare for all are really em endorsing government-run health care that will raise taxes across the board, including on the middle class. So their government-run health care plans would eliminate private insurance uh, plans for at least 150 million or more Americans. Interesting point about that is if you've seen not only at the debate but in the days since, you've got a number of the candidates, the, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, the U.S. senator from my neighbor, Minnesota. Each of these Midwesterners at least have the good sense to note what this is going to cost and how people like Bernie Sanders and particularly Elizabeth Warren aren't talking about the details and that it would kick 150 million people or more off of their current health care insurance coverage. Now, most Americans like it. No, without a doubt, we've got to help those who've got extraordinarily large health care costs. But you don't do it by dumping out the vast majority of people who overwhelmingly are pleased with their coverage. Now, this is an interesting one. So you, when you talk about unlimiting private health insurance, one of the interesting points I don't think has been raised up until this point, and that is that union members... Of course, obviously, I got all sorts of grief because what we did to put the power back in the hands of the workers and the taxpayers instead of the big government union bosses. But union workers across this country, public and private alike, particularly in the private sector, union members would lose their health care benefits, benefits they actually negotiated for. And sometimes, particularly in the private sector, uh, they negotiated for in place of wages, uh, higher wages. Those things will go away if you take away private health insurance coverage. And, you know, they're doing all this at the same time many of these same candidates are talking about providing full health care coverage to illegal immigrants with, guess what, yeah, you the taxpayers footing the bill. In contrast, you know, President Trump, talking about taxes, signed the largest tax cuts in American history, <clears throat> excuse me, into law, <clears throat> excuse me, more than $5.5 trillion in tax cuts, gross tax cuts. They weren't gross, but the gross amount of the tax cut was $5.5 trillion. You don't hear this from the media, but nearly 60% of that went to American families. On average, a married couple with two children would save a little bit more than $2,900. That's $2,900 thanks to the tax cut. It's largely because the, the final version the president signed doubled the child tax credit. That certainly helps reduce the financial burden on, on people raising families. Thanks to the tax cuts, 9 out of 10 workers in this country are expected to see an increase in their paychecks. That's according to the U.S. Department of Treasury. Employers say a reduction in their tax rates from the highest level. Remember, they were, you were looking at employers across the country, looking at the corporate rate was the highest level in the developed world. Now they're competitive again, and that's helped uh, not only create more jobs and more opportunity, it's allowed many of them to give pay increases, Overall, these and other policies have led to lower taxes, higher wages, more money in paychecks. Good things really are happening in America. Now, contrast that to when Barack Obama and Joe Biden were office. Many, many areas of the country, including where I live, were a mess. Unemployment was high and wages were down. Thankfully, in the last couple of years, under Donald Trump and Mike Pence, the country's on the right track. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because we've seen that happen before, even before uh, President Trump got in the office in places like Wisconsin and a handful of others. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Scott Walker. We're back on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks for, again for joining us on this podcast on this 
Friday, a, uh, at least here in Wisconsin, a fall-like weather Friday. And we were talking about this president and his reforms and things, the good things that are happening in this country. Well, the same sort of thing was happening in Wisconsin, the sharp contrast. When we came in, you know, back in uh, 2011, when I was running, the state of Wisconsin was a mess. In 2010, the unemployment rate peaked at the beginning of that year at 9.3%. The state itself faced about a $3.6 billion structural deficit. Uh, the Democrats have been in charge, Democrat governor, Democrat legislative majorities. Uh, throughout that prior time, they had raided the transportation fund. They raided the fund to pay patients and families for medical malpractice. They failed to make a payment for tax reciprocity to Minnesota. In, in 2010, there was actually a waiting list for people living in poverty to obtain health care coverage under Medicaid. You never hear that in the press. The, the Democrats cut aids to, aid to schools, aid from the state to schools and other local governments. Again, I know that because I was in local government at the time. That, that forced, and even in the schools, long before I was in office, it forced layoffs and program cuts. And at the same time, you saw in the decade before we took office, property taxes in my state went up 27%. After the 2010 elections, Republicans in the state legislature and I took over the state government, which was a mess. Like I said, the economy was bad, fiscal policy was bad in the state. Uh, you know, the amazing thing is with a whole series of reforms that we did, not I did, similar to what the president's trying to do, we reduced taxes by over $13 trillion, or excuse me, uh, $13 billion lower than we took office. Trillion would be good, but $13 billion lower than we took office. Uh, property taxes and income taxes were lower than before we took office when we finished. The rainy day fund was 190 times bigger than we took office. We put in place regulatory reforms that still protected public health and public safety, but really cut through the red tape. We, we got rid of excessive lawsuit abuse in the state. We did all sorts of things to make it easier for employers to not only hire more people, but to raise their wages. And you know what? It worked. Common sense conservative reforms work. Every year I was in office, we had a balanced budget. Actually had a surplus along with that. The unemployment rate dropped to an all-time low of less than 3%. In my last year in office, there were more people working in Wisconsin than ever before in our history. We did all this, and at the same time, we empowered local governments, like the one I was a part of, schools and counties and municipalities, to save billions of dollars they could put into services. We actually eliminated the waiting list for people living in poverty for Medicaid by, by applying it for people living in poverty instead of taking the, the Medicaid expansion or Obamacare and expanding it to the people who already had access to it in the workforce. All these things worked, just like they're working with this president. And again, I often tell people, you know, I ask that timeless question. Are we better off today than we were four years ago? I think the answer in America is a resounding yes. And while... You know, even amongst right-of-center leaning voters out there, there might be times, as there is with me, when you look at something the president's tweeted or said and realize, I don't think I would have said it that way. But as I mentioned before, Washington is filled with people who, who say all the right things, who speak all the right words, who never jump out of character, but who don't do squat for the American people. This president's a doer. He actually gets things done. And the nation is better off because of it. The, the things he's done, not only in terms of economic and fiscal policy, the people he's put on the Supreme Court and the other federal court positions out there, people who will be around law, far past uh, this president's second term, but who will uphold the law and, most importantly, the Constitution of these United States. 
That's what we want out of a president. We don't need an activist when it comes to the courts. We need a person, a leader, who's actually going to put people on the court who believe in the rule of law, who believe the Constitution is there. And if you want to change it, as I mentioned before, I've been working to change the budget to deal with the balanced budget amendment. I, I think it's something our founders would have looked back and said, yeah, this is this is why we set up the process we did. It's it's something that, unfortunately, in Washington is a bipartisan issue. It's gone up under both Republican and Democrat administrations. It's something the federal government needs, just like 49 of the 50 states have, a, a constitutional requirement to have a balanced budget. Yeah, there's things we need to do out there, but we need to follow the process the founders intended. We need to follow the rule of law. And we need to make sure that we put leaders in place. We're not only going to do that when it comes to the courts and the judiciary, but overall, who are going to put the best interest of the American people in place. There are a lot of people out there on the debate stage who want to take the place of President Donald Trump, and they're talking about a major shift in American policy, a, a shift to socialism. Some are, are more obvious than others. Bernie Sanders, for example, flat out admits it. Others seek to kind of hide. But, it, you know, for him and people like AOC, who's not running for president yet, but, but who is clearly out there as the face of today's Socialist Democrat Party, the fact of the matter is they want, as AOC's former chief of staff said, you know, the Green New Deal isn't about the environment. It's about taking over the economy. They want to tell, what you, they want to tell you and every other American what to do, when to do, and how to do it. That's what socialists believe in. Those of us who believe in freedom, those of us right of center, we believe in more than just free enterprise. We believe in freedom. We, we believe as long as you don't hurt the health and safety of your neighbor, go out and do your own thing. Live your own life. Pursue your own dream. We said there's a reason why in America we celebrate the 4th of July and not April 15th, because in America we celebrate our independence from the government, not our dependence on it. Thanks so much for joining us this week on You Can't Recall Courage. Tune in next Friday where we'll continue the discussion. Until then... Keep fighting for freedom.